Hey, hey, welcome on in. It's your boy KV coming at you from my Soul Renegade Sound Studios right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm welcoming you to another episode of the Ken Valdez Approach. Y'all, I think it's about that time that you kick back and you relax, maybe pour yourselves a drink and just chill and check this episode out because I am going to be taking you on a little bit of a detour this week. Let me explain. What I've been trying to do on the approach since I've been back is share with you some music and musicians that you may have overlooked, may not have heard of, but definitely deserve your attention. My guess this week, it's the same thing, kinda. This guy is an incredible musician, and he has played and knows some of the biggest names in the business, but he's probably more well-known for his work in film. I can remember being a kid and watching this one movie over and over and over and over again, and his character, man, I wanted to be him. This movie garnered such a huge cult following, and now is probably considered to be a piece of pop culture. This film has gone on to live a life of its own and has created something very special for my guest this week, Mr. Bill Allen. The film I'm talking about is Rad, the character that he was. The main character was Crew Jones. Man, I wanted to be that guy. Years later, he and I become great friends. I think the world of him. And man, I wish that I had more episodes. This guy is so deep. There are so many layers of this onion to peel away from, man. It's incredible. Regardless, I think that this interview and and Bill as a person, as an artist, is incredible. We're going to be talking about the music. We're going to be talking about the film. We're going to be talking about his best friend, Brandon Lee, the late, great Brandon Lee. So check it out. This is my interview with the one and only Bill Allen, right here on The Approach. All right, I am hanging here with my buddy Bill Allen. Bill, before we even get into anything, dude, you know this because I've told you, but I mean, I, I gotta I gotta say it again. Here I am, this young guy, young kid out in northern New Mexico. And I get turned on to this movie, Rad. And for the better part of my youth, <laughs> I wanted to be Crew Jones, man. I wanted to be Crew Jones. You inspired me so much. And, uh, you know, here I am talking with the guy. And, you know, come to find out that, that you have, obviously, obviously, so much more than Crew Jones. But, man, that is... Uh, something that I think has become a bit of an iconic, you know, cult cult following kind of role, but iconic nonetheless, man. I just had to throw that out there, but man, how are you doing? Never better. You know, I, I'm really happy to talk to you, Ken. Uh, full disclosure, we're friends. Yes, uh, we are. <laughs> and uh, I, I love what you do and, and what you represent. And one of the greatest joys of my life is becoming friends 
with these fans who grew up watching that movie. Uh, not only do they let me sleep on their couch and eat all their food, uh, <laughs> they treat me like gold. You know, I, I've, I've really uh, come to know and, and love a, a generation of people that grew up on that movie. And uh, I spent a lot of my time going to festivals and events and screenings. Uh, I don't know how many people were aware that uh, it got re-released in theaters last year for one night. And it was number two at the box office that night. It was right behind the James Bond movie as far as uh, per screen average and sold out almost 600 theaters. Dude. So that makes me know that it's no longer a cult phenomenon. It's a pop culture phenomenon. And uh, not everybody knows it, but not everybody knows twilight or harry potter you know we've got we've got a global audience and and a, a large portion portion of those people know about rad and 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 a certain portion like yourself grew up on it and were wildly inspired by that movie and so uh it's it's nice that it's got this this legacy that continues on absolutely man and for those of you that don't know rad y'all gotta go see it it's just you know, obviously set in the 80s, it is really, I think, the advent of, of the, the big BMX and freestyle movement that happened then and carries on into this day. I mean, did you ever see the sport becoming what it's become, you know, since that movie? I saw it happen in front of my eyes. When I walked onto that set, particularly Hell Track, it was a whole new universe that had not been explored as yet. And that was Hal Needham's uh, contribution and genius. He uh, revitalized NASCAR and pretty much made it what it is today by getting into that sport. And so you can see with Hell Track, the way it's set up, he saw the same kind of future for BMX. It wasn't just kind of a little track with little whoop-de-doos in it. It was a major event just to be able to do one revolution on that track. So the big drop-in wall, the cereal bowl, uh, a lot of these things were just, just fell out of his head. And, and uh, it took another 10, 15 years before we started seeing the do tour, the Huck jam, the X games, these things that absolutely sprung from that movie. As far as I'm concerned, there, there was nothing that was, there was nothing like that predating rad. Uh, so what Hal saw was these freestyle guys and the racers, and he put them all together, created this fantastic race, and it inspired a lot of people and certainly the industry. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I grew up on it. I wanted to be you, man. And one of the thrills of my life was meeting Bill at NAM at the NAM show and getting a chance to to play music with him because yes he is also a player he's also a musician and that was that was such a blast we did a um i, I had a demo at uh godan guitars and you know go godan man those guys have been treating me well for for quite a while now but we got a chance to play together and i'm telling you dude one of the highlights of my life one of the those those moments where it's like you know just 12 year old girl at a Taylor Swift concert moments <laughs> was being on stage with you. And right before we started playing, you uttered the iconic line, 
Let's walk this sucker. I lost it. I <laughs> lost it. I'll never forget it. That has to be one of like just those moments in my life that, that will always stand out to, to hear those words uttered by you. Everything just kind of came, you know, to this, uh, to this pinnacle. It's like where I grew up and here I am with the guy. And then he says that to me, are you kidding me? And then we're going to make music together. It wasn't riding bikes, but it's something that I do a little bit better than that these days. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you've also, as I've told you, uh, inspired me to, to get back into it, man, to, to, to pick up, you know, a bike or two and, and start riding again. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to see that this has become kind of a, kind of a thing as well, man. You know, seeing the guys that grew up on that movie start picking up and riding again. And then there's you who's like Mr. Inspiration over here who started riding after rad too, because a lot of people, didn't know that that you at that point in time you didn't really ride did you and and now you picked it up and it's it's a thing it's a thing for you painfully obvious watching the movie that i'm not a rider or wasn't at the time certainly and that's that's a little embarrassing for me but i decided in my 50s to take up freestyling so i started showing up at huntington beach and taking uh, lessons from martin aprio one of my uh, good friends levels <laughs> in the movie and really plugged into that culture. So it, it's uh, still a big part of my life. I do a lot of these bike events. I've got a signature bike frame of my own. And uh, I'm, I'm on my bike pretty much every day now. So uh, I, I don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, certainly in my life where this six-week job 35 years ago still has such a resonance in my life and my daily practice and, and, and the friends that I surround myself with, uh, that's really the gift of that movie. Uh, How cool, man. How cool. Yeah. And again, so I was, I was saying that, that we got a chance to play together. So tell me about musically where you come from. Well, I come from the, the greatest musical tradition, of the 20th century, as far as I'm concerned, the Texas blues scene in the seventies where I grew up was such a hotbed. Uh, if you're a blues fan on Greenville Avenue, any day of the week, you could see Freddie King or Johnny winter or Stevie Ray Vaughan or the fabulous Thunderbirds or smoking Joe Kubek or uh, a hundred others that it was just mind boggling. Now this was what I grew up in and, and, uh, and yet, I had a special appreciation for what was going on around me and was too intimidated at the time to really uh, try to become a musician myself. Everybody else was playing music. Why did I need to, you know, <laughs> right. and you could drive down to Austin and see the whole Willie Nelson revolution that was taking place at the same time, <laughs> you know, really big stuff was happening and, and you're born in it. You, it's hard to appreciate. So I, I, I left, Texas and moved to California and nothing equaled that period or those musicians. And, and, and so I still have a great affinity for uh, the Texas blues music scene and those musicians uh, that uh, like yourself who were affected by it or, or still are in the mix very much. So I, I became a harmonica player once I moved out here and, and got a job in a theater play <laughs> playing a harmonica player so that's kind of how i picked it up 
and took some lessons. And before you know it, I was touring with Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, doing stadium tours and playing Farm Aid. And, oh, man. Yeah, it was it was pretty heady stuff. And certainly I didn't feel deserving of it because I just I just started. You know, I was such a newbie. And now I'm on a tour bus with my buddies. Dude, I was having a great time. We were all having a great time. Oh, I bet. Four cell phones and and social media. So we were getting away with all sorts of craziness, man. (laughs) (laughs) God, I could just, I could only imagine, my friend. We'll have some conversations later on. But but to live that life uh, as kind of your rock star fantasy. But we were living that dream, not, not poking around at it. We were doing it. And so that that's been an incredible gift. And and uh, so uh, I spend my time playing guitar now. Uh, I got a little uh, um, entranced by uh, uh, some guitars that were gifted to me. And and like I said, coming from that strong guitar tradition oh, yeah. in my psyche. And now I'm just trying to play those notes that have been in my head since the 70s. Knowing you. And knowing who you surround yourself with and knowing that, that you, you are, you know, you are a musician and you've done the touring and you've done the work and, you know, and you still have a, a passion for it. How does that differ or is it, are there similarities? Are there, you know, parallels with you and music and you and, uh, and film? How does that, how does that play together? Well, I mean, they're different disciplines but I just figured out that I'm an artist at the end of the day. And uh, you, you, you stop putting limits on, on what you can or cannot do. So for me to stand up at the NAM show with somebody of your stature at, at a very exclusive event, and it's just a thing, you know, it, it's just, it, it felt like, well, this is what we do. Sure. And, there was no apologizing for me standing there. We just locked horns and we're off to the races immediately. And that's got, that's got great meaning to me to be able to, to share that stage, you know, with my little misery whistle and stand that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it called that, but that's amazing. <laughs> so, I love that. Well, listen, you play the starvation box. I'm on the misery. <laughs> <laughs> that's classic somehow we got through it you know yeah man so this is this is just a great joy to me and and hanging out with walter trout that day yeah man oh look at who's over there and who's over there this is just like being a kid in a candy store for me because i'm a little late to the party but i i enjoy the party a lot you know man uh one of the biggest lessons that i that i learned and it's really not even a lesson it's just kind of a way of life And, and when you start looking at it this way it makes so much sense and it, it it really does something to the soul, but my musical mentors, if you will, my, my extended family, the Peterson family out here in uh, Minneapolis, they have this saying, Ricky Peterson in particular saying it's all about the hang. And it really is at the end of the day, man. I mean, you know, here we are just, we get a chance to make music and that's, that's, that's awesome. You get to make music with your friends and then you get to hang with them. And, you know, it's just that, that's what does it for me. 
You know, it's yeah. it's it's a blessing to be able to to make music and play music. But man, it's so much better when you're able to do it with friends, man, and and just have that camaraderie, have that connection. I love that. Yeah. Well, they asked Lawrence Olivier, you know, the greatest actor of the 20th century, what his favorite part of being a theater actor was. And it was just that it was the hang afterward. He was having a drink after the play at, at the pub. And and boy, look what we did and look what we survived. Because when you're in the moment, you're like a deer in the headlights and you're so, you know, you're so locked in, hopefully, and and, and engaged. But then afterwards, yeah, yeah, it, it's the people. It's it's always the people. And because otherwise it's a solo performance and <laughs> you don't have anybody to relate to. And so that's why I would rather be a Beatle than Elvis, because they had each other. Oh, and wow, man. Elvis was just like, it's me, dude. I got the mafia around me, but it's Elvis. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my uh, gosh. That's actually a great, great analogy. Yeah. And th those guys survived largely. You know, they, did, they didn't kill themselves by their own hand and 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 i think friendship has a has a lot to do with that and, and that camaraderie that, that you were discussing absolutely man well i'll tell you what too your story so you released you released a biography not too long ago and it was eye-opening to me because i had no idea about you know some of the uh um some of your exploits some of your adventures if you will man i mean I guess in a, in a, in a summed up brief kind of way, your acting has led you to, to working with rubbing elbows with some of the biggest names in the business. I've been fortunate to have worked with some of the biggest names in show business. It's just, whether it's a Tom Cruise or a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney. Now these guys at one time or another were my friends. Tell me a little bit about that. What is what is your experience like in 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 film working with people like that and, and watching some of your dear friends come up and become you know superstars if you will? In in some respects, the movie and TV industry is an industry, and it's kind of like making widgets, and and, and there's a, a process that that creates success or or money at the end of the day. The business that we're in. Uh, is is odd because now you've got the world's eyes on you. I, I've 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 known a lot of these players who've done incredibly well, made hundreds of millions of dollars, and whether it's through records or or movies. And what I have found, my takeaway: everybody's an individual. I can, I got stories all day long, so so I can't come up with one statement that that kind of cohesively make sense about all these kind of people. But what I found is to not be jealous of anybody. Brad Pitt said something uh, that, that struck home with me long after we stopped hanging out. He said, uh, I wish everybody could become rich and famous to understand it doesn't really change anything. And that, that's kind of a head scratcher. And you can go, well, that's easy for him to say. And, and certainly with, you know, all the flame outs in the news recently of celebrities, uh, it just makes you go, the, the, there can be too much candy. It can rot your teeth. Fame is a toxic drug. You have to take it in small doses or it will mess with you. It messes with everybody who gets too much of it.
everybody is affected by it. I'm good friends with Lou Diamond Phillips. I've known him since he we were acting students together in Texas. He's probably the least affected by all of it. In other words, he's still very approachable. You'd love hanging with this guy, but he's had the world on his shoulders at, at one time or another. Sure. Uh, so that has an effect on, on a person. And somebody like that who, who, who walks out into the world with a spotlight on them, everybody recognizes him when he walks out into the world. That's not me. You know, uh, he's a head taller than everybody else. And he looks like Lou Diamond Phillips. So he's kind of always has to be on when he's out in public. And I see it and he's gracious and grateful and 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 really just full of grace. But it's not easy to be that way all the time. Right. Would you want to be that all the time? With oh, the God, no. Just fair game for anybody sitting down to have a intimate dinner and you've got a line of people waiting to talk to you it's just it's it's a different pressure and for for people who have day gigs and and no aspirations in this way uh, it would be easy to judge because guess what i judged them you know i sat there and watched the will smith thing play out and i was i was in shock and horror as everybody else but uh who am i to judge <laughs> <laughs> Who am I to judge? The guy, uh, I, I've just seen it. The people, it's like a death of a thousand cuts. Everybody wants something from you. If you're in that position, everybody wants something from you. And I'm guilty of that too. When I get in the presence of somebody like that, I, I, I sometimes I have a list of favors. Sure. Know? And I'm not proud of that. And uh, so sometimes the line gets blurred and as opposed to this is my friend or this is my friend who can do something for me. Right. And, and you, we've had some conversations recently about projects we've gotten involved in. And that's, that's always a, a, a delicate balance because I only want to work with my friends. This right. is my this joy is, is getting to hang with my friends. Yes. The hang. And, Here we go again. Getting to create great work. But often it comes at some sort of price and and uh, uh, you, you don't want to ask too much of somebody who's just being approached all day, every day for things or things or things or things. You just want to be that guy who who doesn't want to be that just energy sucker when you walk into the room. So uh, my advice for anybody who gets into that position where you're in a room with somebody like, you know, the queen of England, whoever, just act like you belong there. Just wow. act like you belong there. Right. Sure. And, what? and, and, and be nice, be nice and be, be nice. nice. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> but it's rule number one. And it's how you get invited back into the room. I think. Absolutely, man. Well, I mean, just out of curiosity, if you want to throw some names out, you know, who have you worked with? You know, that, that I would be of note aside well, from Bart Connor. <laughs> I named a few. And <laughs> we'll, we'll start with Rad since that's what I'm most famous for. Of course, the most infamous one of late is Lori Lachlan. And Caution. you got a chance to make out with her. That's great. I did, and I got paid. <laughs> yeah. These are all cautionary tales. Uh, who's had a more successful or long-lived career than Lori. And, and yet uh, 
she's done hard time. I haven't. You yeah. have, you know, so it's just, uh, you got to be careful out there. I was, I was having a conversation with a young writer yesterday who's on his way. He's on this launching pad, got many big projects happening. And I just had to, I had to warn him because I've just seen it happen too many times. And, and we've seen it in the press too many times where people just, they, they break down, they get handed too much success too early. And, um, <clears throat> it doesn't, doesn't go well. And, I, you know, it, I, I think that way often about my life. What ha, what would have happened had it gone that way instead of where I am right now, which is nice. It's not, I live a nice little existence here. But had I been a Johnny Depp or a Charlie Sheen or whatever, what would I don't think I would have handled it well. In fact, I know I wouldn't have handled it well. I didn't handle the little bit of success I had. Mm, yeah, I wasn't smart. I was in my 20s. Who's smart in their 20s, dude? And then, <laughs> then you're handed all this power and success and and you've got a team of people working for you and your parents are working for you and it it's uh it's fraught with with pitfalls. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. But what I what I find really great about you is that you do have your hand in in so many different aspects of the biz whether it be music or or in film and that is almost more appealing to me you know because you you have you have these skills that allow you to you know make your way in and out of the entertainment industry and present things of substance music the fact that you're a phenomenal actor the fact that you can you know uh well you're also a filmmaker man i'm really amazed at at all that you do all these skills that you have and it almost seems like that's that's a better way to go or am i wrong do you feel that way for me uh i stopped running around with a headshot going to casting offices a number of years ago because you just you're handing off all your power and if i'm sitting across the desk trying to impress a girl who's 25 and new to the business and now i'm trying to impress her with what i've done i i just want to say what have you done and, you know, <laughs> and so i, I kind of got tired of that and 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 had some opportunities to start working for myself and that has has meant a, a lot more to me because i'm on the ground floor of things that have great meaning to me I, i've had some really cool acting gigs and and uh i'm fortunate to be sitting here talking to you somebody's interested in talking to me this is this is a big deal but i just <laughs> Just wanted to share something with you. I went to a screening a couple of years ago of Star is Born, and we have these Q and A's out here a lot where the stars will show up. And, and Lady Gaga was there for the Q and A afterwards, and she just said something that stuck with me. She said that if your work as an artist doesn't reflect your value system, you're going to have a very short career. And that. Yeah, that really that really stuck with me because my value system as an actor for decades was if you're paying me, that's all that matters. As long as it's not a snuff film or a porn film, as long as you're paying me, 
that means I'm a working actor and that's how I get my self-worth. Whereas instead of looking around at the work that I was involved in and going, maybe I could do a little better for myself. Is this, is this the best I can do? And uh, that was not where my value lied. It, it was with being a professional actor, as opposed to somebody who can look at himself in the morning and go, I did great work. And this is something I can be really proud of. That's happened in my career, but it was always a happy coincidence. It wasn't the it wasn't the thing that made me show up on set. It was uh, I I got luck, lucky on a job and and fell in with some good filmmakers. So that that did happen, but uh, more often than not, if I got a call from my agent, there was no thought about is this a good project. It was how much are they paying. That's all, and it didn't it didn't serve me well. So I've kind of reconfigured the way I approach things and and now I'm just kind of uh, a lot more busy and a lot happier I think at the end sure. of the day. So it's a soul thing you know it really is when something feeds your soul when something really really affects you that way it just makes everything you know that much better. Yeah as as Guys like us who, who often live gig to gig, it's hard to just walk away from somebody who's, who's flashing money in front of your face, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> right. But I, I did it last week. It's like, this is not, not going to make me happy. It's not going to make me feel good about what I'm doing as an actor. And, and I'm not going to use my, I'm not going to belittle myself. You know, and it sounds obnoxious, but you know what you can do. And uh, you ever see those YouTube videos of, of like the, the cellist busking in a New York subway and he makes five bucks and then he puts on his tuxedo and goes to the Philharmonic. Right. Right. And makes his five grand or whatever. So it's whatever you're comfortable in. Maybe you're more comfortable as a busker. I don't know. And if that's, if that's the life you want, God bless you. But if yeah, that's man. the life you want and you've done enough of that and you want to move on, there's nothing wrong with that either. And evolving and going, well, that was good for me 10 years ago. That's not good for me now. Right. 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 We're, we're allowed to evolve. We're absolutely. To yes. <laughs> yes. Dude, let's talk about your friend, Brandon. We're talking about Brandon Lee. He was your best friend, man. Tell me about tell me about your time with Brandon. Okay, so um, I was good friends with Miguel Ferrer, an actor who passed about four years ago. He was on uh, NCIS. He was in RoboCop, pretty famous character actor. He had done um, Kung Fu: The Next Generation, which uh, was a pilot for a Kung Fu spinoff with Brandon Lee. I was best friends with Miguel, very good friends. And he's like, you got to meet my boy, Brandon. He's Bruce Lee's son. Bruce Lee's son. That sounds interesting. So uh, I drive up to Miguel's one time and meet Brandon and he's happy and chipper and so psyched to meet me. I find out later he thought I was Matthew Broderick. He's a little near <laughs> he showed up at an acting class I was in because of Miguel, and that was it. We were joined at the hip from then on, and uh, very good friends. He was just an interesting guy and not what you would expect. 
He had kind of a chip on his shoulder as a young actor. He had a lot to prove then as a 25-year-old as opposed to a 30-year-old, which is when he died. So he he felt like he was on a, a time schedule and he had to get shit done quickly. And that included a lot of hanging out with his boys and a lot of pool halls and a lot of drinking. But he was also a very serious artist and martial artist. And uh, we became roommates, uh, founded a theater company together with uh, John Lee Hancock. And um, we really got to see each other. We, he visited my childhood home in Texas. I, I visited his childhood home in Torrance. And um, what can I say? Uh, he was among the luminous people I was hanging out with at the time. He was the brightest light. And even though we knew some movie stars, everybody understood that Brandon was going to be the guy. You know, it was just obvious. He walked into the room. You're like, well, there it is. There's the whole package. And he truly was. Not only did he have the looks and the desire to better himself as an actor, which he did, but uh, this incredible martial artist who really didn't study after his dad passed away when he was seven or eight years old, up until the time he was a young man, 22, 23, Brandon didn't study martial arts. He was kind of like a soft, doughy actor boy, theater guy in, in high school, and uh, was told early on in his career, you're going to have to be a martial artist. That's your, that's your way into the door. He's like, okay. So he went and became who he was as a martial artist in a handful of years, four or five years. Wow. I'm kind of doughy actor boy to Brandon Lee. And uh, I found out recently that he would show up on set and these stuntmen are going, what do you need me for? He can do backflips that I can't, you know, that they're trying to keep him safe. And, and for the high fall stuff and the very dangerous stuff that he was more capable than any stunt double they ever brought on set for him, which is kind of unheard of. Uh, that's why they bring stunt doubles on set because they're the athletes who can do these incredible moves. Uh, and he was, he was so dedicated to his craft. You know, he was probably, he probably weighed 160 pounds when we were hanging out and doing free weights. And, uh, when he got the role of the crow, he told our weight trainer buddy, Daryl Chan, that he wanted to look like Mick Jagger. Mick wow. Jagger, Jagger's no he was no Brandon Lee. So Brandon had to lose about 15, 20 pounds of muscle because he had no fat to lose. I want to take a short little break here from my conversation with my buddy Bill Allen, a.k.a. Slim, a.k.a. Crew Jones. I want to take this time and I want to tell you about something very, very important to me. My music. That's right. Yours truly is an artist. I'm a musician, and I have a brand new record that's out right now. It's called Saints and Sinners. It's a kick-ass rock and roll record. And I'll tell you, wherever you guys stream or download, whatever platforms you choose, go check it out. As a matter of fact, you guys can go to my website and check it out there as well. But if you go to my website, please sign my mailing list. I promise you, I won't spam you. 
either which way. Saints and Sinners is a kick-ass rock record. We're getting ready to go ahead and release the next single just in time for the summer. And I'll tell you, I think this song is a really kick-ass summertime song. I hope you agree with me on that. Either way, it is available for you wherever you listen or download music, whatever platforms, or go to my website. The record is called Saints and Sinners. I hope you guys enjoy it. Now let's go ahead and get back to my conversation with my buddy, Mr. Bill Allen. I walk with kings. That's all I know. That's all I know. I'm not one myself, you know, and I'm treated one at times, (laughs) whether I deserve that or not. But you know, it's name droppy what we're getting into. And that's, that's fine. That's fine. But these are my pals. You're my pal and you're right up there, dude. You're right up there. I, you know, I, I'm walking around uh, the NAM show a couple years ago with you and Walter, like, well, look who I'm hanging out with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the same thing. Right? Look who I'm hanging out with. Yeah. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. You know, that, that you're just so, so this is how I live my life now is I don't, I don't play small potatoes anymore. I'm nice to everybody, but if you want to get my attention, you better be a Ken Valdez level or higher. Oh man. (laughs) That's setting the bar too low, my bro. (laughs) Doesn't get much higher than that, dude. People who are on point and know what they want and and are accomplished and brilliant these people are out there <laughs> and these are the people i choose to to spend my time with and it, it it does create a different mindset so i've kind of had to reprogram myself we're all programmed right we're all programmed good bad or indifferent it's how we get through the world and a lot of it is crap a lot of it is crap in, crap out. So I, I, I instead of pointing fingers at other people a, a few years ago with the political atmosphere, I started looking at myself going, how have I been programmed? And what what BS stories do I carry around about myself and, and, and how I maneuver through the world? And it turns out there was a lot of BS there. You know, we all have a story and often it's Often it's a poor me story. Like, look what I've had to put up with. Well, this is what we came here for, dude. Right? We came for the full buffet. Maybe we we don't want to eat everything on the buffet, but we came to check out the buffet. (laughs) And so now I'm concentrating on the dishes that I love, you know, and those are that is and was and always will be the artistic community. And so... Uh, what I do when I walk in any room is is find the most talented person in that room and find out what makes them tick. And yeah, and it just, that energy has a way of kind of equalizing itself. And maybe you don't rise up to the level of a Steve Lukather or a Walter Trout, you know, but you're in the room and you can hang with them. And that's all that matters. We can keep getting back to the hang, man. But that's- yeah, man. but it's such an important thing man and i'm i'm seeing that on so many levels it it, it's it's what we came here to do and what what i what i learned i i guess uh, a great lesson i learned from brandon 
is that it's kind of all the same thing, whether it's a, a tea ceremony or drinking a beer with a friend or showing up on a film set or creating a great piece of music. It's all art. It's all art. It's all art. There's no, so John Lennon said a tuber is like a squash. That's what they call them in England. He said, I'm an artist. Give me a tuber and I'll make something out of it. And so that's very freeing as artists. You're like, oh, I don't have to be a musician or an actor today or anything. I can just look at the world as an artist. And I can have a conversation with the guy who runs the pet store. And that can be its own performance art piece, right? It just spills out into everything and everything. And, and that's, that's how great artists move through the world. I like that. I like that. Music and film, they go hand in hand. Music obviously enhances film, but you being a musician and a filmmaker, an actor, how do those two play with you? Like I said earlier, they become the same thing. Uh, certainly film encompasses all these different disciplines, but uh, I, I find I'm most attractive attracted to be a performing artist. I'm getting into producing now and that's so it can set me up to perform more because that's what puts puts us uh, us in that zone, an artistic zone. And that's where you want to be all day as much as possible and everything else just works out. So I, I found through music and through acting uh, or through uh, experiencing a great piece of art, it can put you in the zone. You, you understand what I'm talking about as an artist. Uh, athletes have the same well that they can draw from. And uh, that's it. If you can stay in that zone for as long as you can, all day, every day, that's when miracles happen. That's when careers happen. That's when... That's when you become a Beyonce or a Dave Chappelle or, 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 or where everything you do just seems to have this magical aura about it. Of course it doesn't, it's work at the end of the day, but it has that, that, that feeling of expansion. And from the outside, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine how somebody reaches those those heights and I've come to understand how they do it is they stay in the zone for as long as they can all day, every day. And things just fall into place, man. You can't, you can't orchestrate a career like that. You can fall into the river that's going to carry you down there, you know, instead of getting stuck in the little eddy off to the side. Right. And there's a, there's a bravery about that, that, uh, people get over rewarded for, for following their bliss. Well, this should be our just nature. We, we've heard it our whole lives, but for the people who are actually able to do that with complete uh, bravery and, and fearlessness, you, you get a, you get somebody of that stature. I think that's how. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You have some very, very potent words, man. <laughs> I like that. Going back to music, random question. You know, what was your favorite musical moment that you've had? Me personally on stage? Or, 
in, in, anywhere, anywhere. Tell me about some. Yeah, I want to know about you and and music and you know some of these these moments. Like, what is your most memorable? Well, I, you know, I, like I said, I got to play Farm Eight, uh, and if you're from Texas, it, that's that's just it doesn't get any bigger, better than that. So uh, we did this play. I, I did this play with Brandon and uh, John Lee uh, directed production called A Riff for Emily and my brother starred in it. And that's how our little blues band got started. Before you know it, uh, Lou, who was a huge movie star at the time, joined the outfit. And now we're getting uh, on stage with Melissa Etheridge dozens of times. Steve Lukather, good friend of the band, he was up on stage dozens of times. And, and now you're looking at these people on stage with you and you go, well, how does this happen? Ken, it doesn't happen, dude. It just doesn't happen that way. There's some sort of grace that 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 goes with that bravery. Again, here I am with my stupid harmonica stepping onto a world stage. This took some sort of, and I wasn't very good at the time. You know, this took some sort of abandon that maybe I don't have anymore. I don't know, but I did at the time. And so, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, we got to we got to tour quite a bit. I got on our real tour bus with, you know, five of my best friends and our tour manager. And that was the high point of my life at that time is getting to live out those rock and roll fantasies. But on a real level, right. touring and playing and getting paid. So that's when I kind of got my act together as a musician. I figured, well, they're paying me. I, I might as well figure this thing out. And uh, that was just, I mean, we, we did Nashville now a, a dozen times or so and toured with Billy Ray Cyrus when he was a big deal. So as an actor to, to, to just be able to go, oh, I'm a rock star now and, and believe it, <laughs> that, that, was, that was a pretty major deal. So our bass player, we did our tours out of Nashville. Our bass player, Christopher Lindsay moved to Nashville and now he's a major force there he's he's worked with every major artist in Nashville and he's got Merle Haggard's old studio and uh we've reconnected recently and played a gig not too long ago I expect the pipe fitters to have a reunion reunion oh wow man right on so yeah there's some good stuff that came from that but uh to form our own band and and to have some recognition and to run around I got to tell you the most embarrassing thing about that time, Ken. <laughs> Can you guess it? I don't know. What was the one song that we were supposed to play on stage every night? Oh, that God. You, that you would expect Lou Diamond Phillips to sing. Oh, Lord. Uh, La Bamba, probably, right? That would be the only one. And what <laughs> the only song we refused to play? La Bamba. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, this is a hit on the scale of the Macarena or something like that. And, <laughs> and we were looking for an album deal at the time. And for some reason, for some reason, we just thought it was a cool move to not play the only song <laughs> that these people showed up to hear. Oh, man. Charlie Daniels say on an interview, he said, if I got up to perform and didn't play the devil goes down to georgia it's like i was uh robbing these people of their money by highway robbery i'm like oh, oh. 
because of course that's the only song people requested you know they hired a babysitter in saint charles and and paid their 10 20 bucks and da 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 and here he's gonna sing what not la bamba i mean come on <laughs> so you know i never went to jail for you know the the man act or anything but i did do that i played many hundreds of shows with lou and he, we didn't play la bamba once so yeah that's awesome give me a highlight of of your film career man what is what's the one that just kind of shines brightest to you uh good question um i had a nice scene in a movie called felon with uh with val kilmer uh, i'm pretty proud of um you know i've got to work with some pretty cool people hill street blues was a, my first acting job back in the day this, this was no small deal and then i did that little movie called rad and got to work with like talia shire and jack weston and and ray walston um my, my the 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 film that made the most impression on me that i got completely cut out of was born on the fourth of july just because i went through all the marine training that uh, dale die put all the soldiers through the actors i should say on saving private ryan and and platoon and some of oliver's vietnam's films including born on the fourth of july they put us in a jungle training situation basically with tom cruise and got to live that life for a few weeks and uh convince ourselves that we were actually marines i mean how insane is that? <laughs> the thing that came from that experience was a little film called tropic thunder is that the name of it yeah yep <laughs> yep so if you watch tropic thunder that movie was based on our experiences of shooting born on the 4th of July in the jungle, obviously taken to a whole new level, but uh, a bunch of actors in a, in a volatile country and they're shooting this war film with a bunch of crazed ex Vietnam vets. I mean, it was, it was very dangerous. Oh man. Oh man. Wow. Cause we're getting close to the end here. I usually kind of just do this, this thing where, you know, just off the top of your head, you are a little bit different just because you, again, have so much, uh, you, you, you have your hands in so many, so many things, obviously the acting and the movie. So I'm just going to go this way and let's just see what happens here. Give me your top three, top three favorite films of all time. Oh man. Wow. I, I, I'll start off with It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I know I'm going to regret this later on. Uh, let's go with, uh, oh man, Ken. <laughs> I'm one of these guys that falls in love with any great movie that falls into my lap. So the last great movie I saw was uh, Death on the Nile. Is that my favorite movie of all time? Nope. No, um, can I give you my favorite filmmakers? <laughs> uh, I, I, um, I, I mean, I'm such a film nerd, dude, and, and I, I could say Citizen Kane, but is that the most moving film I've seen? Nope, uh, you know, uh, stuff 
like like Birdman or or uh, some of our later modern masterpieces. I, I love those too. Um, shit, I hate you again. <laughs> The, the movie that, that kind of opened my eyes to the power of film, it's not my favorite film, was a film called The Deer Hunter back in the day. It was about, yeah, man. about Vietnam. And, and that one, that one kind of ripped me open as far as being deeply affected by a film. And, and that surely did that for me. And that's when I decided, well, this is very powerful and I want to I be a soldier on film. So I've done that a couple of times. And uh, we'll wrap the, we'll, we'll end it with, um, did I say Citizen Kane? Yes. <laughs> uh, did they make a sequel to It's a Wonderful Life? No. Um, um, we can go with Kangaroo Jack. Kangaroo Jack or Mac and Me. That's up there in Jumanji. Who can forget? Uh, <laughs> La Bomb is amazing. Yeah, and actually, it is. <laughs> it was one of those films that wasn't supposed to come out. It was uh, it was recut and had to be remastered entirely. Uh, so that's certainly up there uh, because I was there the night the film premiered and got to watch my good friend become a star in one night. Wow! Wow! That was pretty exciting. So the the after party was at the Palladium, and it was with like Setzer. And uh, Bo Diddley was there, and I met John Fogarty and Willie Dixon. I mean, I'll just stop with that one. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Give me your top three musical artists that you love. Oh, well, uh, currently we'll go with the Beatles. I'm in a, I'm in a Freddie King phase right now in an Albert King phase right now. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> Freddie King. I, 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 I love me some Freddie King. And if you have not caught this yet, there is um, an Albert King. I don't know if it was a record, but there's a, there's a, a couple tunes. I'll have to send it to you where it's Albert King with the meters. And it is deadly. It is so funky and so good. I'll send it to you after uh, after the show. God, I can't even remember the name of the tune, unfortunately. But every time I hear it, I'm just just floored, you know, because it sounds like something that you would imagine maybe Freddie King doing. Wow! But it's Albert, man, and Albert gets down. It is it's nasty, anyway. So Albert, Freddie, and the Beatles. That's 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 not that's not a bad that's not a bad uh you know lineup at all man well and just before we started talking i was listening to hound dog taylor and that, that's why alligator records was created and we all want to be we all want to blaze right he does more with two chords hound dog he he he, he writes the whole catalog with two chords dude yeah man yeah man Two chords and, and, and six fingers on one hand. Oh right? my God, he cut one off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it, the guy is unbelievable, man. And I, I love hearing that passion that you have for music and for film. It's so, I don't know, it's so cool to know that like you have these two loves 
and you're successful at both. And man, you've, you've had so many unbelievable experiences and many more to come, dude. I mean, you know, we were talking about a project that we can't talk about yet. When we are able to talk about this particular project, I think I'm excited about it because like I told you, I know what's, what's behind it. I know where it comes from. And that is to me, something that is so intriguing and, and, and makes me want to see it probably even more than the actual subject matter, you know, like I love the subject matter, but man, where it comes from, that's passion and it's real. And I see it on your face right now. I can't, I can't wait, my bro. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you, man. You know, this is going to be, this is going to be something very, very cool. Everybody, um, dude. And then there's rad, the movie that just does not stop. It keeps on going. I'm showing my four-year-old, you know, who crew Jones is right now. And every time he's just like, Whoa, he has that, that feeling. So it's, it's, it's carrying on. It's carrying on. How does that feel actually, man, to see this movie that you did? What was it? 35 years ago just continue and 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 continue to inspire continue to to just kind of you know take on its own life yeah who could have seen that coming uh i don't know if we talked about this before but it was re-released in theaters last year for a night and uh sold out like 600 theaters and in the u.s and canada and was number two in the box office and this is 35 years after the, the release. So it still has an impact. There's still kids being named crew. I'm still going to these BMX events and meeting entire rad families that'll travel in their minivan four states over and they show up in their rad racing t-shirts and they <laughs> movie on the way. And you just, you, it's very humbling, Ken. That's all I can say. Uh, I, I don't deserve any of it. I didn't orchestrate it. Uh, I took some acting classes and now it feels like it's something that happened to me, not something I did. Right. That was six weeks of my life, 35 years ago. And now I'm sitting here talking to you about it and doing a half a dozen events over the summer. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think back to when I was a kid and watching that movie and wanting to be crew Jones and still to this day, it, the way that film makes me feel, it's not just the nostalgia thing. It feels, you know, I feel the same way watching it now. And I did 35 years ago, man, it has that impact. It's amazing how that's, you know, it stands the test of time in, in that way. And to see what all has transpired, like we were talking earlier, because of the film, X Games, the Dew Tour, you know, things like that, Nitro Circus. That's because of Rad, dude. That's because of something that you did. That's amazing to me, brother. I watched it go down, dude. I said some lines and I made out with Lori. And, and <laughs> That's great. That's enough. I'll take it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Brother, it's always good to talk to you. And man, we got so much more to do. We got some projects that we're going to be working on. I'm just, I'm honored to know you, man. It's a blessing in my life to have 
somebody I just idolized growing up, you know, actually be a friend of mine. And it's, it's an amazing feeling. And then come to find out that this guy that I've idolized, is just the salt of the earth, man. You're such a good, good man. And I'm just, I'm happy to call you a friend. Thank you so much for doing the show, man. Uh, you're killing me, Ken. I had a great time, brother. And we're going to have some fun. Yeah, That's we are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're we're going to break down some of the stuff I got coming up right now. I'm working on a, a car television show called Work of Heart. So we're we're filming that at the old Fender Musical Factory, which is now a speed and custom shop in Fullerton. So we'll be doing another concert out of there this year. We did one last year. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I know a guy. I okay. know a guy that's available. You know. 100%. <laughs> Where can people find you, man? Uh, certainly Facebook. I've got a fan page. My Instagram is Bill Slim Allen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, go find Bill, man, and just reach out. He is the nicest dude. And, uh, man, just humble and, and a great head on his shoulders. Thank you again, my bro. Thanks, man. Love you. Yeah. I right, love you back. Take care. Hulk Hogan, eat your heart out. Oh, man, I want to thank my special guest, local delivery boy, Crew Jones of Rad Racing. God, I love that movie. I mean, it was everything to me back then, and it still is to me now. I just want to thank my special guest this week, Mr. Bill Allen. I'm so grateful for that guy. I am so thankful for his friendship, man. He is such a great dude. And talk about talent, right? This guy is an incredible musician who can just go rock out on stage and go rock out in the studio. And then he's going to go and do films. And he's an incredible, accomplished actor as well as producer. And he has so many irons in the fire. I just can't wait for y'all to check out all the projects that he has coming up. Some of them might even include yours truly. And all I can really tell you about that is, man, what an honor. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill. If you like this show and you want to show a little bit of love, go visit me at Venmo. My Venmo handle is at Ken Valdez. Well, I love doing this show. It is quite time consuming and it costs a little bit of money to make this thing happen, to keep the wheels on this proverbial bus going on, right? So any little bit helps, go visit me there. Also, I urge you to go check out my website, www.kenvaldez.com. Over there, you can find out about my music. You can find out more about this show. And, of course, there's links to my socials. Go find me on there. Get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. That's about it for now. Until the next time, my friends, be good to each other. Take care of one another. Bye-bye. Right